Welcome. It's good to have you all. You know, New Year's are, are fun because they present uh, a lot of opportunity. There's a ton of opportunity. You know, you look at things differently. In fact, the conversation, if it's in your home, is anything like what it's been in our home. It sounds something like this. 2016 is going to be a year of fill in the blank. This year, we're going to commit ourselves to doing things maybe differently or doing things that we've not done before, stretching ourselves or, uh, or getting in shape. Any getting in shape resolutions this year? Again? <laughs> yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one to make. Um, and this year, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stick with it. So commitments are made. Goals are set. Resolutions are, are in place. And, and check it out. You have 357 days to shop for next Christmas. Isn't it? I just thought I'd, I'd take some of that pressure off. You know, those few weeks before Christmas, you're like, oh, we're going to get done, get to get done. How many of you every year you think, next year I'm starting earlier? Yeah. And how many of you actually start earlier? <laughs> a handful. I just, you know, I think Amazon is a godsend. We, we did all, most of our Christmas shopping in our pajamas this year. And uh, except for pajamas, we actually went out and bought pajamas. So... How funny is that? Well, it's 2016, and in, in November at our church family meeting, I shared about our focus for this next year, our spiritual focus for 2016. I'm excited for this year because I believe God has amazing things in store for new community and for this city this year. And we're going to kick off this, this new year with a series called Shout, Shout. Out of the book of Joshua, the children of Israel getting ready to, to cross into the promised land, and they, they come up to this city named Jericho, and, and to give you a little window of where we're going, they get to a point where God says, shout, I've given you the city, and the walls come down. There's an amazing story that, that goes along with everything that happened, but as I was in prayer earlier Last year, before, uh, before November, before our family meeting, and just praying about, Lord, where are you taking us as a church? Uh, what, are you, what are you calling us to this ne next year? And I believe that's one of the things that God does, not just for a church family, but I believe he wants to do that in your family, that it's good not just to set goals regarding our health or our finances, but spiritual goals. What are some things that we want to see the Lord accomplish in our lives and in our families this year spiritually. Well, I want to do that as a pastor of our church to do that for our church family. God, what are you speaking to us? And this is the thing that kept bubbling up in my spirit as I was reading, as I was praying, as we met in our staff meetings, uh, we were talking. It was this, shout, for God has given you the city. Those words are so powerful, and they're not just the story of what happened with Israel thousands of years ago. I, I love our city. I love our community. And though Megan and I and our family have just been here a short while, immediately God has just given us a burden and a love for our community. And, and I know that it's Him because it's not just a, oh, I like it here. There is this deep fire inside of us to see the promises of God realized, not just in our church, but in our city, in our community, and, and throughout the St. Gabriel Valley. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has good things? I, I hope so, because that's where we're going this year. We're going to talk about, I want to set, set us off 
these next few weeks looking at shout for God has given you the city. In fact, we're going to take five Sundays. Today is kind of going to be the setup. It's the let's get ready for the rest of the conversation. We're going to talk about shouting over our families, shouting over our children, shouting over our marriages. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying shouting at our children or shouting at our spouses or shouting at our neighbors. But, you know, we shout for different reasons, right? You shout, maybe on New Year's Eve, you know, that countdown happened and you're shouting 10, 9, 8, and you get Happy New Year and you're shouting that out, right? People shout on the freeway when they're driving and you can see their mouths in their car and they're like, oh, that person's not happy. Um, you shout if someone's in trouble or if there's danger, right? If your kid's running out into the street, do you go, oh, Johnny, don't, don't go in the street. No, there's a car coming. You're shouting, get out of the street, stop. You're going to shout as a warning, right? You have shouting to, to cheer people on or encourage. You have guys like this, right? Shouting in freezing cold. Packers fans, they're, they're a different breed. They're, if you didn't know, Green Bay is actually a community-owned team. The, the, the fans own the team. And so there's like this unique thing. They get out there in the freezing cold. And I thought, you know, I was going to put a picture of a guy who was like painted himself. When was, and I was like, eh, maybe not for church. But we got a cheesehead out here who's shouting for a football team. We've been watching college football in our house. There's been lots of shouting in our house, shouting at the TV, shouting when we get excited. There's all kinds of reasons that we shout. When scripture, we see shouting taking place over and over and over. We shout to declare the praises of God. We shout his praise. And while shouting sometimes can be just kind of a a connotation, the connotation is negative, there's good times to shout. There's appropriate times to shout. And so that's why this word, I believe, is so timely for us as a church. The things that we need to shout over our homes, over our marriages, over our city, over our nation, that God is calling us to raise up our voices and to wage war in a way that is not normal. It's not the regular way. And so we're going to take our cues in this series from Joshua chapter 1 through Joshua chapter 6. I want to preface it with this. I want to invite you over these next few weeks to read those six chapters, Joshua chapter 1 through Joshua chapter 6. Read them as many times as you can. Sit with your family and read them together with your family. It's a great story. In fact, you know, of course, it's Christmas. There's a lot of movies coming out. You know, this little movie called Star Wars came out, which I I saw a post yesterday on Facebook. I thought it was great. It was like the the whole spoiler alert thing is done. If you haven't seen it yet, you're not a real fan. It doesn't, right? Do you agree with that? Like, go see the movie. But I'm not going to give any spoilers. I'm not going to do that. But, but, you know, these great stories being told and, um, but, you know, this is a great story. Scripture has some great stories. I think, wow, that would make an awesome movie. Joshua chapter 1 through 6, a great story. And it's a true story of what happened to the children of Israel. So, like I said, we're going we're gonna to take our points this morning, our main points, as we kind of set up for the rest of this conversation right out of the story of Joshua. But before they arrived at Jericho... 
there was, a, there was kind of a preparation that happened. There was a setup for the, for the Israelites as well. They didn't just get to Jericho and go, oh, oh my goodness, here's a city. What should we do? There's all of these steps, and that's why you think, oh, that's six chapters of Scripture. That's a lot to cover. We can't read Joshua 6 and the marching around the city without read, reading chapter 1 through chapter 5. Because we have to understand what happened to get them to that place. Because there are some out-of-the-norm type things that happen that God asked the children of Israel to do. That really, if, if, they, if their hearts weren't in the right place, the other would have been like, no way. There's no way we're going to do those things because it just looks silly. And it sounds crazy. So here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to start in Joshua chapter 1. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 9. Um, I'm not going to read all six chapters this morning because that would just take up all of our time. Um, but I want to read chapter 1, verse 1 through 9, and then we're going to just kind of bounce through the next uh, five chapters after that, and I'm going to reference some, some of the different highlights of the things that take place uh, it, throughout the story. Sound good? So if you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 1, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where your foot, you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you and you, uh, you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I think God wants Joshua to be strong and courageous. I'm picking up on that a little bit. Israel at this point has been wandering in the desert for 40 years. In fact, if you rewind 40 years, they were at the very place they are now. And Moses picks 12 representatives, 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel. They're getting ready to inhabit the promised land. And he sends the 12 spies, in fact, Joshua was one of those 12, sends them into the land and they come back. And if, you, if you've been in Sunday school at any, any point in your life, you know the, the song, right? 12 went out and 10 reports were good, uh, bad rather, and two were good. There were 10 reports of yeah, the land is awesome, but the people are like giants, and there's no way we can ever, ever, ever defeat them. We're like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers. They're just going to stomp us, and we'll be done. There's no way that we will be victorious against these people. 
And because of the response of the ten, God says to Israel, because you don't trust me, you're going to spend the next 40 years wandering around the desert and not walking into the promises that that I have for you, into the promised land. Except for the two, Joshua and Caleb, who actually are two of the leaders, Joshua being the main guy who leads the children of Israel. And God waited for an entire generation. And as you read the story, it says that he waited for the generation that did not have faith to to believe and trust God. He waited for them to die. So that there was a new uh, rebirth, a new generation that would be ready to say, God, we will follow you. And so after 40 years of walking around the desert, 40 years of eating manna and quail every day, day for 40 years they're back at this place standing on the on the other side of the jordan looking across into the canaan land going that is our promised land that is our inheritance moses has died and 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 god says to joshua he, your, moses my servant is dead now you stand up you rise up and you will lead my children into their inheritance into their blessing. I imagine in the Israelite camp that there was some excitement. Imagine waiting for something for 40 years, being promised something and not seeing it come about for 40 years, hearing the stories as you grow up. And you know, if you look at a map, that part of the world isn't very big. In the Israelite camp, when we say camp, you imagine, oh, a few tents. No, there are over 2 million people walking around the desert, that leaves an impression. You know about it. And here they are, having heard the stories, heard the promises, knowing that God said, at a certain point, in a certain time, you will go ahead and inherit that land. And here they are, standing on the banks of the Jordan, looking at their inheritance. And God says these words to Joshua. He says, every Every place where you set your foot, I will give to you. And he tells them about the land and how big it's going to be and how wide and how they're going to drive out the inhabitants. There's something about standing in a place, looking into the future, kind of like what we are at the beginning of this year, looking at 2016 going, I know God has good things. I know they're out there. But now I have to do something. I need to step into this next year. I need to embrace the things that God has for me this next year. I need to walk into them. I want to talk about the process that took place with Israel before they got to the walls of Jericho. And there are a few things, there are some very key things, I believe, that we can learn from what God taught them and the process he took them through. I have six points this morning. I'm going to put them up on the screen, so if you're taking notes, you can write those down. Um, But I think there's six things that I see. Now, when you read the scripture, there might be other things that pop up to you. But I believe these are six of the key highlights um, of what happens over these next five chapters as God prepares the children of Israel to walk into their inheritance. Let's start start right off with number one. First thing is this. God's promises never fail. God's promises never fail. Do not fail. Though it had been 40 years that they'd walked around the desert, God's promise hadn't changed. 
Now, the obedience of the Israelites, now that was up for grabs and would continue to be that way even after they possessed the land. But God never changes. In fact, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter uh, 8, verse 3, right? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. There is no shadow of turning in him. He does not change. His promises do not fail. Why is this so important? Because if we don't understand this, we will doubt God. We will doubt his goodness. We will doubt, doubt his heart. We, we, we will doubt his commitment to us. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden where the enemy comes to Eve. And the question he asks her is, did God really say? And he calls into question the very nature and goodness, goodness and promises of God. You have to know that God's promises do not fail. What are the promises of God in your life? Well, if you don't know any, they're, they're right here. Read the Bible. Spend time in his word and you will start to discovering promise after promise after promise. So maybe it's something he's spoken to you out of his word. Maybe it's a prophetic word that's been given to you. Maybe it's something in regards to healing or finances or calling. Something that he spoke maybe even years ago. You're going, God, I don't see it coming yet. You need to know this morning that God's promises do not fail. He says to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I made a promise and I am going to make good on my promise. Because I am God and I don't lie and I'm not going to change my mind. I know what I have for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. It's awesome. And it's for you. And I don't give it and then take it away. I give it to you and it stands. So you need to know at the beginning of this year as you look forward that God's promises do not fail. God is for you. He's not against you. That you are the head, you are not the tail. You are above, not beneath. That is his heart for you. Israel would struggle with this over and over and over again. In fact, in the desert, as they wandered, as God was doing miracle after miracle after miracle in their lives, they kept calling to question the goodness of God. Oh God, you just let us out here to die. We had it better in Egypt. You were slaves. You were beaten. You were tortured. And you had it better in Egypt. It's amazing how some perspective will change things in our lives. That we can be in a place and go, oh God, this is just so bad. And God's like, whoa, do you know what I brought you out of? Just remember what we just singing this morning. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Why is that so important? Because my testimony becomes a reminder of the things that God has done that he promised that he would do. And I see his faithfulness and it builds my faith. God will do what he said he will do. His promises stand. Church, we need to own that. We need to live that. We need to declare that. We need to shout that over our families. We need to shout that over our homes and our marriages, over our city. 
We live and we're living in some very dark times. We're living in some very difficult times, especially globally. Some of the things that we're facing, if Scripture is true, and it is, we know that things in the end times will get harder and worse, not easier. And so we have to make sure that we understand that we, we believe in His promises, not in a secure economy, in a job, right? In a 401k, in safety and security. And while God wants those things to be present in our lives, He has bigger things in store for us. We have to own and hold on to and know the promises of God and know that they do not fail. That's number one. Number two is this. You need to be strong and courageous. I didn't even have to change the words on that one. (laughs) Be strong and courageous. He says it over and over. And then he says, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Chapter 1, verse 6, be strong and courageous. Why? Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Again, you see the promise or an oath that was made to the people. I will give you this land. But in order to go into this land, Joshua, you are going to lead these people, all to whatever million of them. You're going to lead them into their inheritance. And so you need to be strong and courageous, not just for you, but for for them as well. That's a lot of courage. But you know that God's called each of us to lead others, whether in our home, whether in our marriage, whether in our workplace, in our community, we're all leaders. Every one of us, in some way, in some form, in some fashion, even our kids, if you have a younger sibling, you're a leader. If you go to school, guess what? Someone's looking up to you and following your lead. That we are all leaders. And we have to be strong and courageous. Why? Because we have the opportunity to lead people into an inheritance. Not into a land flowing with milk and honey. But into an eternal inheritance that will never perish and never fade. That's what God has in store for us and for those, those around us. And we have to be strong and courageous in order to possess that, that, that blessing and that promise. Claiming territory and retaking land is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. God didn't say to the Israelites, hey, here's this land. Just go ahead. It's all been prepared for you. No, they had to go in and take the land. He gave it to them, and then he made them work for it. It's kind of like when you get... Uh, a toy at Christmas, and then you have to build it, right? You, every, anyone build any toys this Christmas, like, or anything? You got something, and there was some assembly required, and then you realized by some, they meant a lot, right? <laughs> Ikea, like, Ikea's big thing is you come buy it, and you put it together, you save money, and you're like, yeah, and I get really aggravated and frustrated. Actually, I really enjoy that stuff. Not the aggravation part, but the building part, um, There is work that needs to be done in order to possess the land. And you will be tested and opposed. God said that there are all these people, the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and all of these Zites and Ites that will stand in your way and they don't want to give up the ground. 
John 10.10 says that Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy, that he wants to rob us of our inheritance. And so it's foolish to think that as a believer that I'm just going to sail through life. God says, no, you need to be strong and courageous because you have a very real enemy who wants to rob you of your inheritance. And so today you're going to be faced with opposition. And tomorrow you're going to be faced with opposition. And the day after that, and some days will be easier than others, and some days you're going to be like, wow, that, that was pretty good. And there's other days, you know those days that I'm talking about, you get to the end of the day and you're like, ah, Lord, is there light at the end of the tunnel? And God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Taking back territory is not for the faint of heart. One of the things I want to make sure we do as a church this year is very intentionally set our focus not just on what God can do for us, that these promises that God has is for our city, that there are people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior yet, that these promises are for them and we get to lead them into their inheritance. But I tell you what, you don't lead people to Jesus by being timid and afraid. You lead people to Jesus through boldness and through courage. The land that the enemy has stolen from us is not physical land, it is spiritual. And God's saying, it's time for a harvest. It's time for us to bring those lives, those souls, those people into the kingdom. Be bold and courageous. That we as a church would have a focus on our city, on our community, on this valley, on this county, and say, God, we want men and women and boys and girls to come to a saving knowledge of you and to walk into the inheritance, the eternal inheritance that you have for them. Help us, Lord, to lead in that. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm not talking about a pastoral team or a leadership team. I'm not talking about the people who feel like, well, I, I, I can speak better or I don't speak as well as that person. It is every one of us is called to this. You know that when Israel moved into the promised land, they moved as an entire community. It wasn't a few of them possessing the land. Everyone had a part to play. As a church family, we get to walk into and lead others into the inheritance that God has for it. You will be tested. You will be opposed. James says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Why? Because it produces all kinds of good things in us as well. You will be tested, but your marriage is worth it. Your family is worth it. Your church is worth it. Your community is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth the fight. In fact, it's the most important fight that we can fight, but you have to be strong and courageous. So number one, God promises, God's promises do not fail. Number two, be strong and courageous. Number three is this. Set your sights on what lies ahead. Set your sights on what lies ahead. You know, we are really good at looking backward, right? Sometimes all we see is the past and we don't look to the future, if you've ever been on a farm, anyone ever plowed a field with a tractor? Dave, one person, right on. It's fun. 
I got to do that when I was growing up. And there's something about being on that tractor and you, the smell of the earth. Oh, it's incredible. And the diesel. And then anyway, um, farmers, now they have these tractors that are all GPS and they do drive themselves. But back in the day, right, when you had your John Deere, in order to get straight furrows in the ground as they were plowing the field, what the farmer would do was pick a fixed point on the horizon and point the nose of that tractor at that fixed point. And never look back. See, because what happened is when the, the farmer would look back and look at the plow, the line would start going like this. What you had to do was fix your eye on a fixed point on the horizon, aim the tractor at that, and then just make little corrections along the way. And when you got done and then you look back, these incredible rows. God says, stop looking backward. When we look backward, we mess ourselves up. We get ourselves into trouble. Fear starts creeping in and the, and, and the furrows of our life start going like this. And we look back and go, wow, how did things get so off track? We keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We keep our eyes fixed on that fixed point for us, Jesus Christ. Then we keep looking into the, the future, what lies ahead, not what's come before. We learn from our lessons. We learn from our mistakes. Absolutely. There's even consequences. But we don't live in the past. We say, Lord, you're leading me into something new. And I want to embrace what lies ahead. Where does this happen here in the story? Well, we see the two spies that are sent into the promised land. Before the, the Israelites cross the Jordan River and they move into Canaanite land, Joshua picks two guys, not 12, he just picks two. And he says, I'm sending two of you into the city of Jericho, and I want you to check it out. Now remember, this is before God has said to Joshua, this is how you're going to take the city. When, when they cross the river, Joshua has no idea. And so he's doing his due diligence. He's looking ahead going, there's a city, and it's a big city. It's a huge city, and it's got a massive wall. And we need to have some sense of what we're up against. Now, I'm sending two of my trusted guys. They're going to sneak into the city, and they're going to check it out. And they have this encounter with a woman named Rahab, a woman who's a prostitute, a woman who does not have a good reputation. She's the one that they connect with. Now, we don't know exactly why it was her. Some, some scholars suggest because of the nature of her business that the, the sight of men going in and out of her home would have not raised any red flags, uh, which makes sense. We don't know that for sure. But whatever reason, they connect with this woman, Rahab, and they go and they hide out in her house. And in fact, the people and the men of the city of Jericho realize that they are spies in their midst, and they even know, wow, that they're with Rahab. And they go and find her, and they say, hey, where are these guys? And she goes, oh, they, they'd come, but uh, they left, and I don't know where they went. And she must have been a great liar because they believe her. But she makes a statement to the men. She says, listen, our people are trembling in fear. Your reputation as a people has been established, and we know that your God is awesome and our city is afraid. And then she says, remember me. And remember my, my, the kindness I've shown you. And they give her the instruction that if, 
She rang, hangs the red uh, cord in her, in her doorway, or in her window, rather, and her family comes and joins her. They'll be spared, which they were. And there's a beautiful picture of redemption that, that takes place and how God restores. In fact, Rahab becomes a very important part of the, uh, the, the, the storyline story in Scripture. She marries into to the Jewish royalty um, and, and becomes a part of that lineage that ultimately leads to Jesus. And there's a great side story that happens there. Joshua set his sights on what lay ahead. There was a city that needed to be explored. But he just sends two guys. He didn't send an army. Sometimes we get it in our head to look down the road and then we start preempting. We start doing things in our own flesh and saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and figure this out on my own. It's not a bad thing to look ahead. It's not a, good, a bad thing to, to anticipate what might be coming. Hey, it's 2016. I'm going to look at my finances. I'm going to look at my budget. I'm going to look at the, you know, where our, our family is and how much time we're actually taking off to spend as a family. I'm going to evaluate these things. But sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves and we don't just look at what's ahead. We also make the plan for God. And that doesn't always work out because God's like, no, I have a plan. I just need you to be aware. Joshua doesn't send an army. He sends two spies. And they come back, and what is their report? Oh, they're afraid. They are so afraid. They're shaking in their sandals because they know God is on our side. And their faith was built. Every step that they took, their faith was built a little bit more. Their faith was built a little bit more, and God's like, I'm taking you somewhere, and you don't know what the solution is yet, but it's going to be awesome. Set your sights on what lies ahead They had an opportunity here to recover really what was lost in Numbers 13. Two spies come back with a positive report. No negative report. And imagine after 40 years, I think the Canaanites were probably fortifying their city. You know that there's two two million people walking around in that desert. At some point, they're going to come across the river. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure we're ready for them. And they were afraid. Despite their preparation, they were afraid. Number four, be ready to take a step of faith. Be ready to take a step of faith. Remember, they're on the other side of the river. They're on the other side of the river looking at the promised land. They haven't stepped over the river yet. They haven't walked through that, and there's no bridge. There's no bridge to take them to the other side. Now, we know that the Israelites that come out of Egypt and walked through a parted sea. They'd seen the hand of God. They heard the stories from their parents and from their grandparents about the deliverance of the children of Egypt, Israel from Egypt. And the things that God had done, the miraculous things that God had done to take them out of slavery. And so here they are again. The Jordan River, it tells us in Scripture, is at a flood stage. It's flooding its banks. And there's no way that they can cross this entire multitude of people across the river. And so this has to be on their minds. Okay, God, what are we going to do? We know that you're ready to take us. In fact, God, you spoke to Joshua. Joshua has gone to the people and said, we're going in. We're going to take the land. And I imagine there was a few of them going, yes, but there's the river. 
Okay, Joshua, that sounds good. We're excited. But the river, what are we going to do? <laughs> Joshua's like, I don't know. I haven't got that far. God hasn't given me that part of the plan. All I know is I've set my sights on what lies ahead. God's promises are true. And he's told me to be strong and courageous. So let's wait and figure it out. When chapter 3, the account of the crossing of the river, God says to Joshua, have the priests with the ark walk into the river. Have them just set foot right into that water. And when they do, the Bible says that that water was stopped up or was piled up at a town further up. And they walked across on dry land, and God held that water in place. And remember, it wasn't just a few people. Two million plus people crossed over. It took a while. All the while, that water is just building up. It's being held up. But there was a step that the priest had to take. That step into the water, that step of faith. Imagine being the priest at the head of the column. Okay, this box on my shoulder is heavy, and it's muddy in there. Take that step, and God instantly, sometimes it takes a step. God's saying, I want to I bless you. I want to pour out the richest promises on you. I want you to walk into your inheritance, but you need to take a step. That you can't keep doing what you've been doing and expect different results. Places in our lives where God's saying, stop relying on, stop trusting the things that you know, the things that are familiar, the things that you see. Yes, there's obstacles in front of you, but I'm saying if you take a step in faith, and sometimes church, it's a ridiculous step. That God still calls us to do things that the world around us would go, that's silly. That's irresponsible. That's dangerous. But I believe that if we would quiet our hearts to hear from the Lord and, and walk out the things that he's calling us to do, oh, the victory that we would see. The same God moving in the same way on our behalf. The Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that Jesus raises a standard that drives back the enemy. Remember, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. In fact, we're going to read that verse in just a few minutes. That we're not battling in the flesh, that we're battling in the heavenly. And we can't battle in the heavenly if we're not people of faith. Our faith has to be built so that when God says, it's time for you to step out, you step out. And I think sometimes we build this up to be more than what it is in our own minds. Well, I just need faith for the big things. You can have faith in the small things. That person that God's been putting on your heart to say, you need to share my love with that person. Lord, there's no way. Not me. You've got to find somebody else. I'm the wrong person. I'm not the right person for that job. And God goes, take a step of faith. I've been doing the preparation work. And when you put your foot in the water, I'm going to hold back the enemy so that you have an opportunity to speak boldly. What are those places in your life, in your family, where God's saying, it's time to move. It's time to actually get 
get up on your feet and take a step in the direction where God's saying, I'm leading you into that. My years in ministry, I've talked to so many people who've dreamt about the things that God has for them and talked about them and journaled about it and prayed about it. My question is, well, what have you done about it? Well, I'm just waiting for the door to open. No, take a step. Take a step that God is expecting us to move in faith. Number five is this. Let God take the lead. Let God take the lead. We tend to be control freaks. Any control freaks in the house? I want to be in control. I want to know. I, Lord, you know what? I feel like at times I know better. I feel a lot of the times that I know better. And God's going, no, you don't. No, you don't. Israel had fallen into this trap in the desert. And they would continue to fall into this trap, thinking that they knew a better way. Nothing new, though, because again, back in the garden, the temptation of, of, of Satan to Eve was, if you eat the fruit, you'll become like God. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. <laughs> they were. And God says, no. No. That's not the way that I work. You follow my lead. I'm God, you're not. I'm God, you're not. You fall into step with me. You submit yourself to me. God has Israel Israel declare this in an interesting and painful way. Chapter 5, we find Israel has crossed the Jordan River. They're celebrating. They've actually established memorial stones to remember what God has done. They're praising God. And then they get to the other side. And then God says, okay, now that you're in the promised land, the first thing that you're going to do is we're going to circumcise all of the males. What? Because remember, in the 40 years that they've been walking, there's a whole generation that's grown up and that none of the males were circumcised in the desert. So this is everyone, all of the men of the camp, because remember, the older generation is gone. So every single male in the camp, the first thing they do when they get to the promised land is they get circumcised. God, that's not very smart, because you know there's an army that's watching us right there, and there's a river that's flowing again, and we're kind of stuck, and now we're going to... Inhibit the ability of our men to function? And God says, yes, because I need you to know, I need you to know that you trust me more than you trust your spears and your armor and your horses and everything else. I need you to trust me with ridiculous faith, even when it could cost you your life. That's crazy, ridiculous faith. Why? Because God needs to take the lead. And when he says move, that we move. And there's something of the curse from Egypt that is broken. And they commit themselves in this new land afresh and anew to God. And they say, God, we belong to you. God's calling us to put him first. Which means that there needs to be a cutting out of things in our lives. 
that there are things that we have put before God. There are things in our lives that he's saying, you have made that an idol, that you have put that in your life before me, that I'm not your first stop, that you go there first, and you don't come to me first. And God says, unless you put me first, you will not walk into the promises and the blessings. You cannot occupy and take back the land that the enemy has stolen if God isn't first in your life. And then we will go around the mountain again and again and again until we learn that lesson. And I believe it's too easy for the church in America to go to church, to, to, to play church, And to never actually get to a point where you say, God, you are Lord of all. That you are Lord of all. One of my first professors at Life Bible College stood up in a class and she made this statement. He's Lord of all or not at all. He's Lord of all or not at all. Israel had to surrender themselves and say, God, you're our God. And you're the only God. You're an awesome God and we trust you with our lives. What are the things in your life and in my life that need to be cut out and cast aside that would declare to the Lord and to the people around us, God comes first. The distractions, the stuff, the things of this life. Not only this, as we continue the end of chapter 5, Joshua has an encounter. God is preparing them for battle and and Joshua is on his knees and and the commander of the armies of the Lord show up this is in uh, right at the end of Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 says that Joshua is there and he looks up and there's this commander of the armies of the Lord he must have looked awesome and he's holding the sword in his hand and Joshua is a little freaked out And he says to the commander of the armies of the Lord, are you for us or for our enemies? And the reply is this, neither, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Are you for us or are you against, or against us? You are for us or for our enemies? And he says, neither. Neither. Why is this important? Because we're reminded here that God is the one who fights the battle. And if we let him take the lead, he will fight the battle for us. Are you for us or for our enemy? Neither. I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the Lord's side, and there's a battle that has been waged that you don't even see, and it's the battle that matters. It's the battle that's most important. It's the battle that we still wage today, and the commander of the army of the Lord, his name is Jesus, is leading that battle on your behalf. He's leading that battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. 
And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance, fragrance of the knowledge of Him. What does He do? He leads us. He leads us in triumphal procession. Why? Because He's won the victory. He's won the battle. Ephesians chapter 6. The battle, we do not wrestle or wage war, battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That there are spiritual strongholds that exist in the world around us. There are no fortified cities like Jericho, but there are fortified strongholds in the heavenly realms that God is saying, I want to see those walls come down. I want to destroy those walls. But God has to be the one that takes the lead. We have to remember this church so important that people are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. The only enemy we have is Satan. And he will deceive us into believing that that man, that woman, that boy, that girl, that person over there, that person that hurt me, that person that did that thing, that person who is inconsistent, that person who lied, that person who cheated, the person who did fill in the blank that they are the enemy. And God says, no, they are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. So that when it comes to the things that you're warring in in your life and you go, God, are you for me or are you for my spouse? God, are you for me or for my children? He goes, neither. I'm on the Lord's side. I am fighting for, to drive back spiritual darkness and oppression in this place so that both win. Let God take the lead. And then finally, number six, we need to possess the land. We need to possess the land. The Israelites go on to march around the city six days, once a day, on the seventh day, seventh time, seven times. And in Joshua 6.16, they get to the end of the marching, and Joshua says, now shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And they start shouting and blowing the trumpets, and the walls come down. I read something interesting. I didn't even realize this or even think about this. In all the years I've been reading this story, that there were so many fighting men in Israel that their numbers would have encircled the city multiple times. So by the time the, the head of the column had already gone around the city once, the tail end hadn't even started. So you imagine that the city is completely surrounded so that the, when the walls came down, they walked in from every direction to possess the promise. And here's what happened with Jericho. They completely destroyed it. Nothing was left living. No stone was left on top of the other except for Rahab's house. Everything else was utterly destroyed and God said, do not rebuild this city. Possess the land, but leave the city in ruin. How often we go back to things. God says, stop going back to the old things. I have new things for you. The things that I have destroyed, the things that I've torn down, they're done. Now go possess the promise, possess the land, walk in the blessing, and don't go back. Don't go back. Church, that's what God has for us this year. That's what God has for us. We're going to talk about shouting, that moment where Israel shouted, what were they shouting and why were they shouting and who was hearing the shouting and why did it make such a difference? And what does it mean for us to shout? 
with these things in mind as we set our sights on what God has for our church and for our community this year. What does it look like for us to shout over our children, over our homes and our marriages and our workplaces, over our city, that we would be a church that shouts and sees the walls come down. But God needs to prepare our hearts first. Can we stand together this morning? It could be that one of those points had a bigger impact than one of the others for you. Don't leave this place this morning without doing some business with the Lord. If he is stirring your heart to action, move on it. If there are things that, that bubbled up in your spirit that, that need to end up in a conversation later, have the conversation. There's a time of repentance that needs to happen, just you and the Lord and you on your knees, and do it. But let's be a church that's ready to walk in and into and possess the promises of God this year. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that you, Lord, that you have good things in store for us. Lord, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, that you are a God that doesn't go back on your promises, that you don't change your mind. Lord, that you are committed to us. Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful in those places, Lord, just like Israel, where there was disobedience. There were things, Lord, that they did that, that got off track. Lord, we're, we're prone to the same things. Lord, as the hymn said, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Le- prone to leave the one I love. Lord, take my heart. They can seal it. Lord, we want to be a people after your heart. Lord, before we lift our voices to shout over our city and shout over our community, God, we want to be a people who are just known by your name, who stand for who you are and your goodness. Lord, help us to be strong and courageous. Help us to be a people of faith. Help us to put you first. Help us, Lord, to remember that people are not the enemy. Help us to remember, Lord, that you lead us in victory, in triumphal procession. We give you praise in Jesus' name.